0: Hello and welcome to The ARC Podcast, I'm Adam.
1: And I'm Joy.
0: Today we're talking with author D.A. Horton, whose new book, Bound to Be Free, is available now at navpress.com.
1: Bound to Be Free is about escaping performance to be captured by grace. And today D.A. is going to talk more about how finding Christ and his performance to be enough will allow us to be captured by grace. So we hope you enjoy the conversation. Yeah,
0: it was um, great to talk to him. He's very intelligent and has a lot to say on this topic, so hope you enjoy.
1: So, D.A., can you tell us a little bit about your background, maybe where you grew up, um, what you've done in your career, and then how you became an author?
2: Yeah, um, well, I was born and raised in Kansas City, Kansas. Uh, My wife was raised on the Missouri side, just on the other side of the river, And um, we actually met when we were kids. I was around 10 years old. She was around eight. And uh, our parents got us involved with uh, evangelism ministry to the projects, the housing projects in Kansas City. And uh, we didn't know Jesus, uh, but we knew how to share the gospel. And so um, it was amazing to me that uh, as the Lord saved my wife and I around the same age in our mid-teens, that we had been doing the work of ministry without even knowing Jesus as Savior. Uh, So our hearts are always sympathetic uh, to churchgoers who know the gospel, uh, who can recite it, They've been church members for a long time, but still don't know Jesus. Uh, So that kind of even leveraged into um, our desire to plant a church in the neighborhood my wife was raised in. Uh, We pursued Bible college together and seminary as well. And um, uh, from there, I just began to recognize that a lot of people in the context that we were from did not have much intersection with the gospel. Uh, They knew culture of the church. They knew certain things. They knew passages. They knew gospel, the genre, but they didn't know uh the 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 beautiful truth of Jesus Christ. And so um, I became an author basically just trying to write content to reach the immediate community of people who had no background, no information uh with the scriptures and context. And uh I was preaching at an event at Moody Bible Institute, um, called the Legacy Conference, and I made a remark and I said, you know, we can't blame the John MacArthur's and the John Pipers and the RC Sproles for not writing books to our context because they're not from our context. So we need to be writing books to our context because we're from the context. And lo and behold, the acquisitions editor for Moody was in there and uh, pursued me and said, hey, your comments about John Piper and those guys struck a chord in my heart. Do you have anything? And I said, I just got a manuscript. It's real short that I just got proofread. I shot it to him, and uh, he then took it to Moody, and uh, that opened the door. And the irony of it all is that it was John Piper's son, Barnabas. And so." Oh, wow.
1: <laughs> yeah, so
2: so Barnabas is a good friend of mine. Um, I love his work. I tell him repeatedly, he's one of my favorite authors because he's so candid, uh, borderline cynical, but he, he really uh, owns his cynicism in a way that is very challenging and thought provoking. Uh, but then that, you know, uh, gave me grace to publish two works with Moody and then a mutual friend of mine. Uh, and, uh, Don Pape at Nav Press connected us when I was living in Atlanta. And, uh, I had stepped away from writing for quite a few years, obviously because of the content from, um, bound to be free. And, uh, Don and Caitlin met with me for breakfast and said, Hey, do you have anything you're working on? And I said, you know, I just have this raw, rough draft. I can send it to you via email. I said, I literally just finished it a few days ago. Oh. And so that's kind of how everything started with bound to be free.
0: Awesome. That's Incredible. a great segue into, um, your book, Bound to Be Free, which is out now through Nat Press. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about the book and kind of what your hope for it is?
2: Yeah. Um, you know, my, my overall goal is that uh, it's, it's written to believers in mind, but there's enough gospel saturation in it to appeal to the non believer as well who can sympathize or at least empathize with uh, some of the life scars that I kind of talk through in the book. But ultimately, it is to basically help people understand the depth of God's love for the believer and then how that can mobilize the believer to walk in freedom in Jesus, to not think that we have to live under perfect obedience to the law or even a self-imposing uh, system of laws that we put on ourselves to try to prevent ourselves from sinning, uh, which is kinda what I call self-induced legalism and so that's the goal I just wanna see believers free in Christ I, I walked in the performance trap for too many years of my walk with the Lord and I, I don't wanna see believers go through what I went through
1: mm-hmm you know D. A., I got a copy of your book and started reading it and was just struck by the introduction of how much your own journey and story is written into your book And how you do take biblical principles, obviously, and apply scripture, but not in a way that's removed from your own personal experience. So in that, you talk a little bit about the performance trap and then the trap of grace. Can you talk about both? Like, how did you come up with those concepts And what
2: do they mean? Yeah. So, you know, I was uh, I stepped away from the pastorate in uh, 2012, the very end of 2012 uh, to move to Atlanta to relocate. And I I told the pastors in Atlanta to the church that we were going to join. I just needed to be on a sabbatical. I didn't want to do any pulpit ministry. I just wanted to be a regular dude that was loving God, leading his family and a regular member at, at at a local body. And they respected my sabbatical. But during that time, I really needed to do some soul searching and some healing. And uh, basically one of the pastors, probably about four months into my sabbatical, was like, hey, I know you don't want to preach or or do anything, but man, could you really bring some encouraging words to to some church planters that are going into rough parts of – the cities in America and their wives and I said yeah you know what I, th- I think I'm good because I've been wrestling through this this uh acronym trap and and how I've been kind of coming out of some things and so I put it together uh for for that group specifically and I mean it went over so well like the wives were coming up to me and were like you know my husband will never admit it but everything you described, that's him like that's mm-hmm. our relationship um and then planters begin to open up and then I got asked to speak at a youth conference and someone said hey w- what does it look like man like uh for for you to speak what God is.'" dealing with your heart. you know, What's he putting on your heart? And I said, well, man, look, I've been working through this. And so I wrote four sermons uh, dealing with the performance trap and the trap of God's grace. So that's how, and I know one review has said it seems sermonic. It's because it was four sermons that I had prepared to kind of walk people through this process. And so I start off the book by talking about the performance trap and I label four walls. There's our trajectory uh, where we sense God calling us, the giftedness that he's given us, but the tension, the turmoil, and the timing of God, when is this going to be realized? Uh, and then how often our flesh wants to romanticize the calling that God has put on our life to the point that we start trying to force everything to be a confirming uh, you know, uh, segue to this is where God is leading me to go. And then I couple that with our relationships and the wounds and the baggage that we have from our peers, our parents, or people that we want to partner with. And then I then say the third wall is the lack of affirmation that we have from those who are stakeholders, the people that we want to affirm us when they give us negativity or they neglect our work or our contributions. It damages us, and it makes us want to work overtime. And everybody could say, man, this was great. But if our stakeholders don't say, man, you did a great job, then we're going to keep pressing, keep working just to win their affirmation. And then finally, uh, the last wall is the P, which is our peers. And then if the affirmation from our stakeholders is given to our peers, now we see our peers as competition, the ABCs of jealousy set in, which is anger, bitterness, and complaining. And we take these things to the Lord in prayer. We can't celebrate with other believers because we see them as as competing against us uh, for the work that we feel that God has called us. And I just felt like, man, this is so real in my life that if I can share it and it's connecting with teenagers, if it's connecting with urban church planters, if it's connecting with soccer moms that have heard the stories, then I'm like, this must be broad enough for Christian reading to then say, hey, is there some other platform we can leverage to get these sermons encapsulated in book form and then distributed to people so they can hear my heart, my scars and say, wow, God, if you can work on somebody messed up like D.A., you can work on me. Mm-hmm. And so to God be the glory, those are some of the praise
0: reports we're starting to hear.
1: Amen. That's beautiful. Awesome. That's incredible. Amen. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, in your book, you and, uh, mm-hmm. you encourage the reader to leave our striving for perfection behind, and you encourage them to walk in a balanced relationship with Christ according to his word. Um, what do you think are some first steps a person can take to kind of uh, have that play out in their life?
2: I think the first step is to be uh recalibrated to the message and the truth of the gospel um in my life when i have forgotten the foundational core elements of the gospel which says it's not about my performance it's about the performance of christ Uh, that's, that's where the, uh, the, the, what I call the, the trap of God's grace becomes a reality that it's not walls that enslave us, but it's boundaries that God gives us as a framework to walk in freedom. So instead of focusing on our trajectory, the gospel says, I need to just trust in God where God has me in this position and season in life is where he desires me. If he wants to move me on in his right timing, he will do that. I just need to be focused on being faithful and understanding the gospel and giving the gospel to others and seeking to make disciples. And then with the relationships with the people who have heard us, you know, the gospel reminds us that we've been reconciled to God through the work of Jesus Christ. And so with that reconciliation being a reality, we can walk in forgiveness to those who have wounded us, whether they say they're sorry or not. Mm-hmm. And I think dealing with that tension of walking in forgiveness and choosing to let go of bitterness, choosing to let go of vengeance, choosing to let go of grudges, that's the gospel's work, uh, intangible real-time expression. And then the gospel reminds us that we have the unconditioning, unwavering affection of God that is perpetually being given to us by God himself, and that's not based on our performance. So if I sin, God's love does not retreat. If I obey, it's not like he gives me a double portion. It's because the performance of Jesus Christ was approved by God, and the resurrection proves that. So now I can walk in the assurance that, man… Even if stakeholders never affirm me, my God loves me, and that is the overwhelming strength that then allows me to leverage my relationships for gospel purposes where I don't see my peers as competition. I want to partner with them, and that challenges me as I hear the gospel. Man, if Christ died equally for every believer, then the grace in which we stand collectively in is equal. So you know what? I I need to rid myself of the poison in my heart towards my, my believing brothers and sisters, and I need to pray. Pray that God would open doors for them. That's what Paul did. He prayed that, that God would uh, allow the gospel to continue to advance, even though he was in chains. If somebody else was preaching uh, Christ and people were saying, I'm a Paul, I'm of Apollos, he said, man, it doesn't matter as long as Christ is preached. The gospel frees us up to see that and to receive that and to walk in that. And so I think that's the first step to man, really work through the gospel and don't just view the gospel as uh, the elementary components of our faith. I love what Tim Keller says. He says the gospel is not the ABCs of our faith. It's the A to Z of our faith. It's the wholeness of our faith. Mm-hmm. So when we look through life through the lens of the gospel, we'll be able to say the trials, the tribulations, they're expected. The pain, the sorrow, the loneliness, that's going to come with this season of life. However, God has never abandoned me. The body of Christ is with me. I can press on. I will see tomorrow. And the gospel gives me the hope to endure.
1: Amen. (laughs) Very well said. And what you've said is just a beautiful, very free way to live life. And I'm wondering, like in your experience, both as you've been in the church and then in your own heart or your family and friends, what keeps people from experiencing freedom in this way, from putting away the performance trap and saying, yes, I am bound to be free in Christ?
2: Yeah, I think it's I think it's our life experiences, Um, Mm. our failures, our sinfulness, things we did before we knew Jesus. And then the sinful things that we do after we know Jesus, mm-hmm. I think those are all roadblocks from um, keeping us from walking in the freedom that Christ desires us to have. And the enemy of our soul is constantly accusing the brethren. He's constantly accusing the sisters in Christ of you're no good, you're unworthy. And those are things that naturally I think all of us wrestle with our insecurities. And what I didn't recognize that it roots back to the idol of pride in my own heart, and my own life. I'm too focused on myself. And what does God think about me? You know, I'm so focused on my identity that I have an identity crisis in my walk with God. And so that's what Bound to Be Free really is, is. I'm really unveiling my heart saying this is the identity crisis I've wrestled through for so many years. I just never knew how to open up because I felt that if I opened up, people would think I was not mentally stable enough to continue to pastor. He can't be trusted. This dude is really wrestling through some serious issues. Mm-hmm. So that kind of kept me enslaved. And I found that there's freedom in confession, freedom in vulnerability. But even with that comes a great risk. So you know you have to weigh that in consideration but I think ultimately, at least in my life, like what I share is that I think we impose self-induced legalism. It's where we put these extra rigid laws on us that are not confirmed in the Word of God. So I, I give an example like the, the law of 530 that no matter what time of night I went to bed, I could be counseling somebody at 3 to 3 in the morning. If I would go to bed 3.05, 3.10, I needed to wake up at 5.30 the next morning no matter what time I went to bed to pray, to have a cup of coffee, to get into the word so that I can give God the first fruits of my day. If I was tired or my wife let me sleep in after I didn't hit the snooze button and the alarm kept going off and woke everybody else but me up, uh, and I woke up at 8, man, I felt for that two and a half hours I was in sin and God was judging me. He wasn't going to bless me. He wasn't going to bless the ministry. I was a curse on my family. Like like the, the Bible never said that. I believe that. And I interpreted that as a system of a framework that I would live my life. So that would force me to go out and share the gospel on the streets with people. I would make sandwiches uh, and fast and then hand them out to people in the park who were homeless. And I felt that if I did those things, then God would love me more Mm -hmm. and I would be forgiven for my sins. So basically what I was saying is Jesus' work was not good enough. My sinfulness is greater than the grace of God. So I've got to help God and Jesus out by now doing extra work and performing so that I can now be put back in God's good grace. That's anti-gospel. That's anti-scripture. That's 100% pure carnality, and I think that's the core drive of why we as believers wrestle with enjoying the freedom of the grace in which we stand, is that we feel that it's it, it's cheap, it's easy believism, and I've got to do something else to which the, the gospel says, no,
0: you don't. So…
1: Praise God that we don't. I mean, Yeah. <laughs> the Lord. Amen. Yeah. Well,
0: that's a good segue into my next question, which is how has your image of God changed across your life as you've grown in your faith?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I finally see uh, the Father is just that, a loving Father. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember one time, I didn't put this in a book, but I remember one time I was sitting in a... Seminary class. Um, <clears throat> when I was right out of high school, uh, the church that I grew up in, Sheffield, they would host uh, like seminary classes, and I remember it was the class, um, the pastor's person the pastor's personal life, mm-hmm. and uh, the professor gave us an assignment, and he, and he told us to, to talk through um, the descriptions that Jesus leveraged of God, and how did he describe God to the people? So you know, we were talking holy, righteous, just. And he, his face turned red, and he was so frustrated with us. Mm-hmm. And he said, "This is a mistake that I regularly see." He said, "When you see Jesus talk about God, he always addresses him as Father. Every single one of you missed God being Father." And we were just like, "Wow!" And then we began to wrestle through the father wounds that some of us, some of us didn't know our biological dads. Some of us, like me in my book, we unpacked the fact that man, we have father wounds and issues. And so I think sometimes we take that into uh, our our relationship and we make God our victim of punishment, if you will, by uh, taking away and negating what the scriptures profess him to be, a perfect, holy, and righteous, pure father who is compassionate, who is loving and full of mercy. And we impose a framework based off of a skewed vision of father that we have because of how we've been treated or even how we have treated others. And so now, walking in the freedom of, uh, of God's grace and being trapped by God's grace, I finally see him as a loving father who is merciful towards me. But the challenge that I have is reminding my flesh of the biblical interpretation of my father who is perfect and holy and who loves me. So that's why I have to run back to the gospel message every day. Even this morning, I have to remind myself that he is a loving father. Yes, he is just but he remains just and the justifier because he poured his wrath out on Jesus who took it in my place.
1: Mm, Yes, amen. And for someone who has a really hard time, either from past experiences or personal sin to accept God's grace, what are some, are there practical things or is it really what you've said, just reading the word of God and inviting God in and saying, Lord, I don't know how to pursue you well, and I feel I have all these structures in place that not might not be biblical, please take those away from me.
2: Yeah, I, th- I think it's a both and. I think, um, number one, because of the nature of God being triune, God has wired us to live in community. And I think mm-hmm. as we look at the body of Christ and we look at our interpersonal role, relationships within the body as we're gleaning from the personal time we have reading a scripture we equally need that corporate time with other believers that can spur us on to loving good deeds to remind us of the affections of our father to remind us of the responsibilities that we have interpersonally i think sometimes within the body of christ us serving those in the body of christ are tangible expressions of god's compassion and love uh in a time of need for example When Paul writes in Ephesians 4, when he says, you know, stop using corrupt speech, and he says, but rather – uh, you know, you speak that which is necessary for edification, that it may impart grace to the hearer. What Paul is saying is stop using this damaging speech to one another. You're tearing each other down. And and, he, and the way he wrote it in the present tense is basically saying you have been doing this, so stop doing this. So you're guilty of it. And now change your behavior to now include grace-filled speech, not just so it blesses the person you're talking to, but people that are on the peripheral listening. And I think that's the responsibility in the body of Christ, that if we constantly are speaking the scriptures to each other, engaging in fellowship, suffering with each other. uh, When we who have suffered can come alongside those who are suffering to say, God gave me grace to endure my affliction. So I want to be here as an expression of God's love to you. That's when we see the body be the body. And that helps reinforce the love of God. It helps reinforce the gospel. And now we're seeing saints grow in maturity together in community the way God designed it. So that's why I say it's got to be practices of even in my time of suffering, how can I serve others? Because we see that in the writings of the apostles. When Peter was writing his letters, he was suffering. When Paul was writing his letters, he was suffering. So we must stop thinking that my suffering makes the whole world stop to just focus on me, but rather the Holy Spirit who indwells me gives me the strength to consider my time of suffering a privilege and a joy. Not that I'm a glutton for punishment, but rather I want to use my suffering in such a way that it can be a ministry to those who are around me that I can then help them see that God has not abandoned them or forsaken them and in those moments I think God ministers to us even in the midst of our sufferings and that helps believers be reminded God loves me the body is with me the scriptures are faithful and true I'm seeing them realize right in front of my eyes so I can keep on and I can I can keep walking in this grace in which I stand with my brothers and sisters in Christ
1: I've realized that as I've suffered I have not been able to perform, and so you're kind of stripped of all the things that maybe you use as safeguards to approach God or to do ministry, and then when something difficult happens, you're like, I just don't have the energy to keep up the space that I've been keeping up, and I found for me personally, that's when the Lord does some of his deepest work, because he says, Joy, you didn't have to do that in the first place, so let me show you how we can have a relationship even when you don't feel like you have the energy to do whatever you had done, and then coming out of those seasons, and even being in them, being real with people is one of the best ways to show grace and receive grace because that's really the only thing that covers the suffering and the sin, and then gives glory to God.
2: Amen. No, I, and I definitely uh, concur with that. I mean, you know, it's it's. I think that's why the scriptures tell us that we don't we don't retreat back when in moments of suffering that God is actually working out, you know, um, our salvation mm. in those in those moments. And I think that's where we then take authenticity to a new level. I think we really desire to be known and be loved. But if we become known, then we're scared people won't love us because they know the real us. So that's the tension I think every human being walks into. But within the body of Christ, I think we can make ourselves known. We can expose the scars on our hearts. We can show that we're bleeding, that we're wounded, that, that we need believers to be around us uh, because, you know, the world is waiting to help us with their coping mechanisms. Okay. And so if we can't turn to the body of Christ, then what we will begin to see is that the, the non-believing world is waiting. They're active, they're present, and they're trying to entice us to get our eyes off the cross, forsake the assembling in the body of Christ so that we can pursue uh, sinfulness rather than holiness. And so, man, I, I agree with you. When the Lord is breaking me, the people I turn to is my wife, uh, those within the body of Christ to help shepherd me through those moments of confusion, frustration, and vulnerability.
1: Absolutely. Mm-hmm.
0: So, awesome. Well, as we, uh, start to get to the end of our time here, um, so your book bound to be free is out now. Um, what, um, what would you say to someone who, um, who's thinking about uh, buying your book, or who 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 should be the primary audience for this, I guess?
2: I, I first and foremost wrote it for believers, um, unashamedly. And the reason I wrote it for believers is because as we are seeking to push back lostness in our communities, and if we invite non believers who are curious about the Savior in which we're proclaiming, Uh, We're we're the PR campaign for God is the church, and so I feel that first and foremost it would be wise for us to perform due diligence by making sure that our hearts are pure before the Lord, that we're seeking to to love him and all that we say and do, and at the same time uh, that we're walking in the freedom of Christ so that we won't impose self-induced legalism on new converts or people pursuing God. Um, because that's how they already view the gospel as this set of rules and this this regiment that is trying to keep them from having fun. That that's the presupposition. So I think that if we engage with people by showing them the freedom we have in Christ, then I think collectively the body of Christ is more engaging to see others freed from the performance trap than men. As we engage in loving good deeds in our communities and our places of work and our homes, then. The non-believers will be drawn to the community of the saints that are loving God and walking in freedom. So I wrote it for believers to walk in that freedom so that we can be freed to go out, share the gospel liberally, and seek to make disciples of all ethnicities, all while living, uh, engaging in community with our local bodies.
1: Hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, that is beautiful. I'm so glad that I work for a publisher who gives me the books. I will be reading, continue to read it. Amen. D.A., we're so thankful for your time and the work that you put into this book and the ministry that you're doing. And um, it's really encouraging just from another believer to see a brother pursuing Christ the way he is and um, trying to make the gospel more clear for his brothers and sisters. So thank you.
2: Thank you. No, thank you guys for carving out time. Sincerely, it was definitely a pure joy.
0: Well, uh, if people want to find out what you're up to or get in touch with you, what's the best way that people can uh, follow you online?
2: Um, there's always Twitter. It's just D-A underscore Horton, H-O-R-T-O-N. Um, or you can look on my website, D-A-Horton.com, which we're going to be renovating the website soon, so, but D-A-Horton.com. And then our church plant in L.A. is www.rf as in fellowship, L-A dot O-R-G. R-F-L-A dot O-R-G.
0: Awesome. Well, thanks again for joining us, and everyone go out and Buy Bound to Be Free and buy five copies for all your friends.
2: <laughs> amen, amen. Oh, oh, oh! I'm sorry. One more thing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Nav Press, we do have a uh, free a small group curriculum that we've written to accompany the book. So please uh, feel free. I, I'm, I've been tweeting out the link on my Twitter. So if you follow me on Twitter, I will uh, gladly tweet out the link for that, so that people can have an eight-week uh, small group format to discuss the content and then prayerfully see again more believers who are my target audience walk in the freedom of grace in which we stand.
0: Mm. That's great.
1: Amen. Thank you so much, GA. Hope you have a great day.
0: You too. All right, thanks. Bye.
1: bye Bye-bye.